Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kisselier hanging out with Henry Zabrowski. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you all so much for giving to our Patreon. Without you, we're nothing. We're dead. We appreciate you endlessly. Today, we are honored to have with us a fantastic author. As a matter of fact, Henry has read one of the books, and you absolutely love it, Mr. Zabrowski. What, what, What book did you read? My Best Friend's Exorcism was very good. It's very humorous and, and, and well it, done. And it was written by a fellow named Grady Hendrix. And Grady Hendrix joins us now. His new book is The Final Girl Support Group. So check that book out. Grady, thanks so much for being on the show. Dudes, thanks for having me. This is a huge honor for me. I... Um, I have listened to this podcast for a long time and then stopped in 2020. I don't know what my problem is. I hate you, clearly. I know. That's what happens. That's what happens. Well, as soon as you have to no longer drive and you have to be in the comforts of your own home and you realize it's not so fun to hear about home invasions and murder when you're actually in the place where most of those things happen. It's true. And, you know, most most deaths do happen in the home, don't they? Isn't that scary? That is really true. Do you, actually, I'll start off straight up asking you about that, like, because I think there's a lot of people that are very curious about the inner lives of horror writers, because I, for every time I've met Ooh. them, I think it's I, 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 ever since it's The Shining. Like, it's all what goes on inside that mind of yours. Yeah. But I think a lot of times it's like when I've met like a death metal person or like someone whose dress is all black for a job, they're normally just being like, yeah, I could tell you what my favorite Ralph's is, but that's like my <laughs> most darkest secret. Yeah. I mean, I think the secret is horror writers have no interior lives. You know, we're just we're just we're just empty on the we're like mannequins. If we fall down real hard, we crack open and like just cockroaches run out. Um, but no, to go back to what you saying though metal heads are like i did a heavy metal horror book called we sold our souls i didn't know much about metal and so yeah. i had to ask a lot of metal heads and they are like the sweetest people ever like i oh, have yeah. so many i have so many like I, well i've got one here but there's a podcast so no visuals but um I have so many like playlists written down on like bar napkins and weird pieces of paper and sex shop receipts and stuff where people are just like, oh, listen, to, you should listen to this and this and this and this and this. And, you know, really nice dudes and bands they that are were sort nice. of regional would invite you backstage. And I have to and- say, whenever you go backstage after you see them perform on stage, I forget who the hell I saw in New York. They were so sweet. Oh, I'm such a bad friend and fan. But they were wearing masks on stage. They take it off backstage. It is like a NASCAR driver's amount of sweat. It's like 20 pounds of sweat. Afterwards, they truly are just exhausted. And then they have to go do all the work of loading and unloading. I'm like, you all are just really aggressive truck drivers. Very sweet people. Well, and I also think being a metal player, musician, player, what uh, I don't know what metal they, yes, player. That's, I like that's right. I like a metal, metal player. player. It sounds like they're yeah. in like a Shakespeare troupe, but it's covered I in am ghost 80 blood. years old. Um <laughs> whenever you know they have special job-related injuries too, like the head yes. banging, the head swirl, the hair swirl. Like that really I was talking to a guy who's in a band, he's in his 40s. He's like, it takes he's like, I've got really bad vertebrae my neck. I got a chiropractor, all these people of just course. on stage. I believe what's his name? from Slayer he can't headbang anymore because it's like legitimately they're like his head will fall off it's like some bullshit where it's one little piece of vertebrae holds his spine together well, yeah. we all know now what their final show's going to be, right? He's just going to throw his head forward once. Oh, it's going to yes. come out, fly into the audience. <laughs> Good night, y'all. Woo! The end. The yes, final yes. show of Slayer. My God, do, man. do all of your work require a lot of research? Like, are you yeah. one of those authors that do you have to put, do you do a lot of pre-pro, pre-work before writing or? 
Or do you jump yeah, in? Yeah, um, and that's sort of the, the reason I do it in the first place because um, I'm a shy and retiring individual and it gives me an excuse to bother people and talk to yeah. them. I was a journalist for a while and I did a, a documentary about the Confederate flag a long time ago, which put me with two high school friends sort of on the road for four or five months, just interviewing like people who had like Viking reenactors and also the yeah. Southern Poverty Law Center and um, Southern neo-secessionists. And we went to this great um, machine gun collectors convention in Knob Creek, Kentucky, that um, I highly recommend. It was much less racist and creepy than I thought it was going to be. Sure. It was just people who have machine guns and like to shoot them. They would... Uh, they would put like cars and appliances out on the range and put explosives in them and, and then shoot them and they would explode. And I mean, it yeah. feels to the little boy and everyone. Absolutely. So you mentioned you were a journalist before, which I hear requires writing as well. Why did you switch from journalism to more of a fiction based writing? Were you just sort of like, I'm done dealing with, I'm just done dealing with people. And now it's time to go off into my own world. Or was there a transition there? Cause I know it's all writing, but it's quite different. Well, I'm um, self-destructive in, in Great. strange Great. and unfortunate ways. And so in 2008, before 2008, you could make a good living as a freelance journalist. Yes. Like, you know, people were just throwing, hey, we've got a website, right, for this. Um, yeah. And um, I wrote for a bunch of like Variety, The Village Voice, Slate, ton of yeah. the usual suspects. And um, and then in 2008, all that stopped. And people stopped paying freelancers, yeah. especially doing cultural coverage, which is mm -hmm. what I did, which basically means you watch a movie and shoot your mouth off about it. And it's like, isn't that what IMDb is for? So um, <laughs> at that point, I thought, what could be more of a dead end that I could just wedge my big melon head down? And I was like, oh, fiction writing. That sounds like it has much fewer positive outcomes than journalism. So I just got all in. And it literally <laughs> took me from 2008 till probably 2016 to make again an income like I had been making in uh, pre-2008, um, which really? doesn't mean I was making that much money pre-2008. It means I was eating yeah. a lot of cat food between 2008 and 2016. <laughs> well, you um, were also working your freaking ass off. Not uh, that I did too much research here. This is simply Wikipedia, but you have uh, Occupy Space in 2012, Satan Loves You in 2012, Dirt Candy, a cookbook in 2012. You got three books, and then you just banged out like three more in 2013. Did you like, I, I I guess you were just very invested that this was going to be your career because the tough thing about writing and Henry and I are two, we are just sluts for the laughs and the claps. You just I do it I alone. Do. You just do it alone until the book goes out and then you just have to hope that somebody reads it. And unfortunately, we're not exactly getting more literate. What is that I, like I, when you're like struggling and then you're like, I hope they like this. I feel like I feel like a chronic masturbator on being interviewed by two people who have a lot of sex with other human beings. And they're like, like, we really like being around people and like having a back and forth. But you do it alone. What do you that do? That must alone? be really impressive. Like, as soon How as this you, is over, I would just, over, get you're just shed a tear for me. <laughs> that poor, poor man. Like, I, I don't know how, any, how lonely he is. I don't know how anyone finishes a term paper with Pornhub right there. Like I would, I'm so ADD back when I still had a computer. 
you know, it did, that you, is, you didn't have access to all this stuff. It's the ultimate I'll, enemy to writing is masturbating. Unfortunately, <laughs> it seems to be. you have to slay that monster. It's, you know, porn, I feel like was constructed to destroy freelancers. I really do. I mean, <laughs> which shows you what kind of a positive attitude I tor- have towards sex. Like the only reason it exists is to keep me from doing my work, which is why I'm a chronic masturbator, as we just found out clearly. Of course. Uh, can I ask? Why were you or why horror comedy? Like, was it a thing that you you saw like a a, like your influence could be or like, did you have ideas that were immediately like, I'm going to be writing horror. I'm going to be I'm going to go into this world. Is it or or is it baked in or was it one of those being like, that's where the money is? Oh, you know how the money is always in horror (laughs) comedy. Yeah, horror comedy is one of those <laughs> phrases you say and you watch agents, producers, editors just sort oh. of like this gag reflex. Oh. Yep. I just sort of wrote what I wrote and then people were kind of like, well, this is what you do. And I like to get along with people. So I was like, yes, you're right. That is what I do. But if honestly, if people had said these recipes for egg salad sandwich, this is what you do. I'd be like, yeah, I can write those. Like um, <laughs> right. it just seemed to be the, the root of least resistance and what people were encouraging me to do. So I did, this is how serial killers happen, isn't it? Like it was easy and people kept saying I was good at it. So I kept going. Um, so my best and- friend's exorcism, that was the book that that got you a little bit of cash. Is that correct? Is that when you sort of like flipped over from just sort of like struggling to be like, I hope this shit works out to like, I think I got a career here. Well, actually, the book before that, which was oh. called Horror Store about a haunted Ikea and my oh. publishers at the time at Quirk designed it to look like an Ikea catalog. And it was a lot of fun to do. And um what I didn't realize then is that Ikea is an international language. Everyone yes. speaks Ikea. Yes. And um, I believe so the language we'll, is ah! <laughs> pure and utter frustration. <laughs> um, but so that book sold to all these foreign countries. And I was like, oh, my God, 16 foreign countries translated into Thai and Woo! South Korean and all this stuff. And then so Best Friends Exorcism came out and they sold like one foreign territory. And I'm like, what the what? And they're like, there's no Ikea. So I know. No one, no one cares about Southern exorcisms in Germany. They've got their own exorcisms. Yes, they do. And I think they're still working on it. Well, because if you don't know, the best friend's exorcism is like, essentially, it's beaches meets the exorcist. Like, that's one way you can yeah. maybe simplify it as a, as a, as a tagline. It's a, but it's got a great emotional heart. Where it's, I think that's the key, right? Where everybody says, oh, my agents, when I say, like, I've got this great thing, it's got 50 murders in it. They're like, I want a story. And I was like, no, I want as many ornate murders as possible. The murders are the story. What do you mean? That's not good enough of a story. They don't understand. They don't get it. They don't understand. They're tiny little minds. They don't (laughs) get it. But the idea of, like, having a real relationship at the center of this type of story of because it works with people friendships growing up because it's about like i don't recognize my friend anymore to to the point where it extends to it's because there's a demon inside of her it's not just because she got into ska and i can't go to the concerts that's dark man you're taking this real dark i didn't know it was that kind of podcast (laughs) yeah he never said anything about ska music okay that's a whole nother kind of horror that's a whole nother genre yeah well you know the thing with best friends exorcism is um I was pitching all these books to my editor as like a follow-up to Horror Store because I was like, okay, okay, I got to do something else. We could have a haunting in a Target. We could have a haunting in a Walmart. (laughs) How about an Applebee's where a chicken tender goes crazy? And once I got through like every big box scenario I could think of, I started pitching out. And like like literally he was like, hmm, 
mm, we're having dinner and he's like mm. um oh my god so, i hate that sounds so I much hate it. i hate it he is a nice guy but um in general but not that night and um <laughs> and so I, I had this title, but I didn't have a book. And I was like, my best friend's exorcism. And he was like, done, sold. He's like, great title. We can do something with that. I was like, cool. So then I was sort of like, well, I'd already done Horror Store, right? And I mean, you know, we we were all under the delusion that my good writing sold it to all these foreign countries when it was really just the <laughs> fact that everyone knows Ikea. So <laughs> then I sort of like wrote up a pitch for him and everything. And he's like, okay, yeah, we can we can do this. And, and I wrote a first draft of the book that I was like, this is so sweet, man. This is like, I just rolled around on those pages. And um, I gave them to my wife to read because that's what I do. Because I wanted yeah. her to think I was awesome. Right. Um, and uh, she waited until we were on a subway. And she was like... Um, this this book's pretty hot garbage. And I was like, <laughs> it's nice that she waited until you are in a moving form of transportation, just in case you wanted to jump off or, You're you know, public. end your it's life nice. in you any can't way. Scream. Can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and it gave me an opportunity to have like a teeny tiny man tantrum where I actually stormed off one door of the subway. We were at a station and then like was like, oh, shit, and stormed back in like the middle door just to make sure I was on the train. Uh, we were on the way to a party, I think. And uh, back when people did such things. Uh, 1612. And, um, and I realized, though, that she was right, that like, I had just grabbed a ton of cliches and kind of BS from like, John Hughes movies. And like, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, we've all seen because I had set the book in 88, because I had to set it in high school, because that's when friendships are strongest. And I was yeah. like, those are the friendships to write about. But my high school was 80. I don't know what high school is now. It all smells like, you know, vaping, and the kids have cell phones, and mm -hmm. they do like active shooter drills. I don't know what that's oh, like. I know. No. no, but so 88, I know that was my 10th grade. That's the year. So I was like, okay, so I like, she gave me all her letters and I had all my letters from then and she had her like journals. I had my like old shitty diaries and I just read that stuff for like two weeks. Dude. Um, okay. How traumatizing was that? There yeah, is no pretty, way I could do that. It was like shooting myself in the face over and over again. <laughs> oh my um, God. What was something that did you, did it take you back there? Did, it, did you like well, remember? Well, that was the thing is, is it took me about two weeks before it kind of clicked. And I mean, there was great stuff in there. You know, I mean, friends writing each other like, hey, yeah, my boyfriend's in protective custody again. I don't know. I don't <laughs> think this is going to work out. Have you heard the new Guns N' Roses album? It is sweet. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Like real oh. deep conversations we were having. And um, not my boyfriend, by the way. Uh, friend's boyfriend. Um, right. And uh and so then I remembered, like, I just started remembering, like, oh, this is what it was like to sit on the quad having lunch. And the thing I remembered that I had just forgotten about high school is just how scared I was all the time oh, about, yes. like, absolutely everything. Like, I had terrible acne in high school. And every morning I'd have to look in the mirror and be like, this fucking monster face has to go. <laughs> it's so <laughs> brutal, man. The yeah, fact that most, the fact that kids get through it all, dude, it's so oh. freaking brutal. I know. And I also was like everything like like sandwiches. Like, how am I going to eat this? Is it the kind of sandwich other people have? Like, OK, I'm going to eat the whole. Like, it was just like overthinking everything because you right. wanted to reassure yourself you were a normal person, but you didn't know what that was because no one's a normal person. So you're looking at other people. And on the one hand, we make that this sort of funny like, ha ha ha. Isn't peer pressure funny? On the other right. hand, 
it was really, really life and death. And it didn't help that every day some adult would turn to you and be like, you could ruin the rest of your life by the decision you make in the next yes. 45 minutes. You'd be like, Jesus oh my Christ, God. I'm in 10th Holy grade. Fo- this is so by- much pressure. But I also remember feeling friends. I remember watching friends turn into other people. Like yeah. that, also that time period too, where you're when you're traveling from 15 to 18, like I have friends that just became like, they just showed up with green hair. They're like, we're going to take over the school with shotguns. And I was like, what are you talking about? Then Columbine happened. That talk all de-escalated. Yeah, I yeah. it seemed so, to be yeah. in the air. It was like, because that was that time period where it was kind of in the air, this like angst kind of feeling where you all of a sudden you don't recognize your best friend anymore. And you're like, yeah. when did I, did I change or do they change? Right. Oh, yeah. And it would be like every summer, you know, you'd get a new season of your friend and it'd be like, what if the writer's yes. room done this season? Like they've taken him dark. <laughs> oh, now he's in a rom-com like with a girl you right. hate. Like it was all. And the worst would be when your friends would change like in front of your eyes, like you'd all be at a sleepover or something. And then everyone decide they they hated you or like they were all into something you weren't. Bro, you are like, giving you are triggering some PTSD, dude. <laughs> I don't know about all this. That's a lot. So is that where is that where the idea like the the transition that happens in the teenage years and possession and all of those things, those sort of intertwine. Is that is that sort of the yeah. idea? Yeah. Yeah. And also just like, you know, I got in trouble a lot in high school. Like, yeah. I mean, I almost Same. got suspended a few times and, you know, and it was like I didn't do it on purpose. Like I was just doing what I thought were the right things and they turned out to be the wrong things. And the harder I would try to fix them, the worse I would make them. Yeah. Um, and it was just, and at a certain point you're just like, fuck it. And just, you know, whatever. Um, and so it was just sort of that feeling of like, no matter what you do, you're screwing it up. I mean, right. you really do feel like, and especially if you're a boy, and I would imagine, especially now post Columbine, when people are very worried yeah. about like boys being violent and all that stuff, just must be bizarre and terrifying. Bizarre I mean, you're basically, indeed. You're told you're sort of a walking time bomb, you know, and it's like, am I? I guess maybe. I don't know. I I'm kind of feel like Well, it depends what you had for lunch. And uh, if it sells various take Thursday, you're definitely a walking time bomb. And those you bathrooms are. are horrible. But also, um, you know, they don't the especially with the uh, the advent of social media. Can you imagine doing all of the things you're talking about? And then also you're not just in competition with like your high school. It's like you're in you're in competition with the, with the lifestyles of people across the world. The globe. Of like what is normal? Yeah, and I love. Have you watched any of these videos for like? And they're mostly watched by high school kids. I caught some relatives whose name I won't mention watching them. They're very young, and they're those dudes who sort of optimize their lives. And they're like, "Here's how you walk like a confident person. You know, yes. you need oh, a good sure. time piece like this. Oh my God, they're amazing! <laughs> an immense um, amount of pressure and an immense amount of money being made off of those kids feeling the pressure to get that time piece. When oh it comes God, to you, I mean, so you know, it's interesting because so I never journaled. Did you journal in high school, Henry? I think you did journal. I did a not. Bit. I did a little. I wrote poetry and stuff like that. And I wrote plays and stuff like that. But I wasn't I wasn't invested in my own thoughts because right. I, I, I couldn't stand them. Did you feel like I mean, just looking back at your journal in hindsight, being that you sort of, you know, wrote down what was happening in your life? Did I mean, journalism, I guess that's the perfect extension of somebody who has a diary or has a journal. Well, the difference is journalism, even if it's cultural coverage, serves some useful purpose. High school <laughs> journals, or at least mine, are totally 
useless because they're all about your feelings. And there is nothing less comprehensible or interesting to read 10, 15, 20 years after the fact than the abstract, you know, mouth cloud of some 14 year old version of use feelings. Like, I mean, I'd be like, where was I writing this? What was I doing? What grade was I in? It'd be like, you know, sometimes these negative things pierce the veil. And then it's like a crystal knife of clarity. What am I That's doing? That's hot garbage. That is hot tell garbage. Me, tell Grady, Junior, tell me what grade you're in. What state are you in? Then the rain before my eyes. No one understands. It was just Give me awful. some information. I want some information, Come on, some context. Yeah, like, tell me what's going happening. On. The one really cool thing that did come out of this, though, I got to say is, have you guys heard of Deliverance Ministries? Uh, I, the, I, the what you, it's in the book, right? It's also the idea yeah, of people yeah, yeah. ripping, okay, okay. people ripping, we talk about like the power guys, like the guys that like ripped phone oh, books Oh, yes, of course yeah. I know them. I grew up, yes, yes. Yeah, but deliverance is also, it's basically the Protestant version of an exorcism because, you know, exorcisms are Catholic, but the Protestants got it too. And they are amazing. I mean, there huh. was a church that briefly, many years ago when I was writing this book, uh, had a, a, a picture, like a quick video, a snippet of a puke and rebuke session they did, which was like a mass kind of deliverance <laughs> for a lot of people. But they had like a snack table in the back and kids running around and the helpers who had the garbage cans for people to puke in wore a little like a safety vest to walk around. It was like oh. the most orderly thing. And people were getting rid of like, you know, the spirit of pornography addiction or the spirit of financial insecurity like the demon of like um of of binging and it was really right i was like wow that makes so much sense like the exorcism is sort of a self-help ritual well, like grady i would oh, have yeah. to infer by that that you grew up in a religious home <laughs> because um, I, I certainly did as well or if you did or not but yeah uh, so how did that Presbyterian though Presbyterian like we, we okay tend to mostly form committees yeah there are committee people <laughs> we were evangelical but talk oh, okay. about a perfect gateway to the macabre to horror and then obviously innately you're going to find humor in it because everything you have to laugh at everything because it's all so ridiculous did that uh, did that sort of understanding of religion um, sort of seed some of your ideas going forward when it comes to exorcisms and demons and spirits and all that stuff? Sure, because you're stuck in church and you can't read anything except the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. And the only interesting book is Revelations. Yep. So, you know, you just spend a yeah. lot of time with the seven headed beast. It's it's because that's the funnest part. That's the funnest part of the Bible. That you just didn't know that there's so much fucking in it. If you could get to the fucking chapters, you'd understand there were fucking chapters, but no one's telling you about them. You got to find those on your own. I also wonder, though, like there has to be like a project in L.A. where someone's like, we're adapting the book of Revelations. Boom. Blew your mind. Mic drop. Pitch over. Like oh, it's going to be directed by Mel Gibson. It's going to be like I, a, just, I, I no. don't trust Hollywood. I don't think Hollywood could handle Revelations. They tried to, but then it's so hard because it's technically just a, when we did an episode on Revelations. We were talking about it's just essentially a sketch it's like it's like a, a political comedy sketch. Like they're making yeah. fun of like it, it, it. That's all it is. It's very. Yeah. And it's like the times they do it, you know, it's the rapture, the left behind movie series or the yes. Megadoo, mm, yes. the Armageddon, the Omega Code, which is none of them are as good as you want them to be. But then Revelations, like you said, it is sort of like it's like I don't know if you remember Splitting Image, that British puppet sketch show from the 80s, where it was oh. all these grotesque puppets that were like parodies of people. 
Yes, That's it's the same one that the Phil Collins video uh, that they those yes. those weird puppets were in. I fucking love Land that of shit. Confusion. I think was the yes. song. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, can I ask you about Paperbacks from Hell? You put this compilation together. I am one of those people that was a child that because, you know, my family always had those like 1980s horror books because that was like the other big boom, I think, of horror fiction was like when yeah. Stephen King was at his absolute peak and there was just so many people. And I picked up this book and I had it, this J.M. Williamson. This is the <sighs> to brother kind, right, which is great. And then when I saw Paperbacks from Hell come out and this is like in that immediately, I was like, oh, this is such a great collection of like books that just get you by the cover where you just buy I bought this book simply because I thought the cover was cool I didn't even give a shit what was inside of it and then you realize like, oh that's what they were doing for a decade was just selling yeah. books with cool covers did you actually try to read Brother Kind? Yes. Jayan Williamson who wrote Brother Kind is one of those authors who's just like He's just slapping words together. He's got to hit his word count. But that book, out of all of his books, where it's about like a psychic investigator and there's a UFO just flying around full of grays and they're abducting human women and like gang raping them. I'm sorry to be so unsavory. And then they like, because they want to breed a half human, half alien hybrid baby, but sure. the aliens are sort of wimps. So they bring Bigfoot in who's like rides around with the UFO <laughs> with them as their finishing move. Um, and this psychic investigator Investigator like tracks them down, gets on their UFO, and big they sink Bigfoot on him, and he just destroys Bigfoot because he's like, I refuse to believe in you. And Bigfoot's like, No! <laughs> no! <laughs> and then the aliens are like, Yes, but we are more intellectual than Bigfoot. How will you defeat us, human? And he has a transistor radio, and the the UFO's in stealth mode. I think it's over Detroit, or maybe Chicago, and. He turns it on to an acid jazz station, as he describes it, and it plays Kiss's Firehouse. And the alien's like, what is this noise? And their heads explode. <laughs> dude, yes! that is a hell of a way out. Well, that well, that brings up a good question. How do you end dude, a book? Dude, yeah. Look at this. I will get it. <laughs> always that way. exploding, duh. Yeah, with yeah, Kiss. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you always great. do that. Um, but I look at the front of this cover. It's got quotes from Jacques Vallée, who we talk about on top, who's a famous ufologist. Also, APRO. This is all like ufologist quotes at the very yeah. front of this book. They're all just being like, what a creative use of theory. Each one just being like, oh, wow. <laughs> and you wonder if they read it or they were just friends with Williamson and they're like, we're going to be in a book. Awesome. A lot of times I think they'll Absolutely. be like, you asking me for a quote on it? That's incredible. Also, there is a quote from the author itself on the inside of the book commenting about how great their own book is. I missed that. Jay and Williamson blurbed his own book. Oh, that's my God. That's incredible. Beautiful. Well, um, you know what it sounds like, though? Weirdly, are you aware of like, do you ever anything read about uh, John Keel? Like oh, the Mothman yeah, yeah, prophecies? Sure. It sounds yeah. like what they did, which is honestly what I'm trying to figure out how to do is like they wrote an action horror movie about John Keel. Yeah. Because well, I mean, it's all why the pan you? theories. I mean, honestly, look at him. I have him above me. He sits above me and he stares <laughs> down on me and um, he does nothing but uh, I think just raise my cholesterol. I believe the cholesterol needs to be lowered, Henry. The other one I want to recommend, though, that I read with paperbacks from hell um, is uh, there's a book by John Coyne called The Searing that's about the eye of 
ball, I think, but it's an alien that comes around. It's like one of those ancient aliens, you know, the ancient astronaut stuff. Yeah. But this yes. one gets angry that humans are onto it. And so like it's it's observatory is like a Native American mount, burial mound observatory outside Washington, D.C. in a Richmond suburb, I think. And so when people get too close to its secret, it makes the women have orgasms Ooh. that are so powerful that literally their minds begin to deteriorate and brain <laughs> matter starts to stream out of their nostrils. That's fantastic. It's, I mean, it's so beautiful. So when you're reading wow. a book like that, I, I obviously you can't uh, copy and paste, but for inspiration, you must find some kind of like themes or do you, what do you look for when reading a book, when you're trying to find inspired, when you're trying to find inspiration for what you're working on? Is it themes or is it like, you know, whatever Sasquatch going to space? Is there something oh, well, that you're trying to like, you know, find for yourself so that you can do your work? Well, reading the paperbacks from hell stuff. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, um, I, I was going to write another book for my publisher and they're like, you know, you write these things about these paperbacks. You should do, you should pitch us a book of them. Like we're, we probably won't buy it, but that'd be kind of fun. I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and I had to fit in this really narrow publication. So I had 10 months basically to write this book and I hadn't read enough of the paperbacks. So I read something like, I think it was like between 250 and 300 of these books. What um, is low? And, and how hurt. long, how long did that take you? Well, I got to the point, I mean, three a day was average. Three um, a day? We have to yeah, end this. I, mean, I can't talk to you. Three books a day? Like, and my, it was hard. It was hard. It made for a lot of, of marital trouble because my wife's a chef. And so she'd leave in the morning to go to work and I'd be on the couch reading paperbacks. And she'd come home at night with like burns and cuts and <laughs> yeah. you know, covered in like physical grease. labor. <laughs> and I'm like, my fingertips hurt from turning pages. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't do the dishes today. I was preoccupied with this book about Sasquatch. Oh, my um, God. You're lucky you didn't write a book about your wife murdering you and making it an autobiography. She, she probably did. And this is all just that split second of death. My whole life since then, I've been living in that split second. It's a hallucination. She's like, right now, my wife is on top of me, crouching my just sawing my head off and screaming. And everyone's cheering and pulling for her. Reading um, is not a job. Reading is not a job. But so when I read those books, it's a really different mindset. Like I still do. I mean, I was just reading a bunch of um, telephone horror novels that got written in the 80s when people are like, bell system, what's inside the bell? What could someone do? They can get inside your house through so the phone and fun. melt your brain. People melt minds a lot in these books. Um, but uh, so I go into this different mindset where I'm yeah. like, I've read so many of them. I'm like, I can go pretty fast because I know what landmarks to look for. Like, doop, doop, doop. here's the sympathetic police detective. Doop, doop, doop. Here's sure. the child who's going to be in danger. Doop, doop. Here's the love interest. Oh, here's the awkward love scene. So I don't get any inspiration for those books. I just become this weird receptacle for whatever insanity they're sort of fire hosing into yeah. my eyeballs in that moment. But you don't think um, that that affects your future writing at all? Like, is it one of those where now that you have this, like, it is just a, a, a depository of essentially pulp? Right. And then your publisher is just like, you just wrote Stephen King's it. You just wrote it again. Yeah. Well, you know, I wish that was true. It's kind of like um, there, there's a Japanese filmmaker who had a really terrible motorcycle accident. And he's like, but I hope maybe I'll become a great piano player with this traumatic brain injury. But it didn't happen. Like, <laughs> I hoped that something would happen. And it just made me a sad person. Um, oh, I think my problem is, you know, I worked for a long time before I started doing like journalism stuff for a parapsychological research lab. And um, really? And so, yeah. 
Yeah. And so when it came time to write horror store, like my editor was all into it. And I turned in the first draft and I was, I felt, I was like, I've got to get ghosts, right? You know, I am the guy who knows what hauntings and ghosts are actually like. Yeah. My editor was like, so this is, um, little sleepy kind of boring like can you maybe spice it up some because <laughs> editor ghosts are boring um oh no i'm trying to write a script about what men in black are really like like i'm trying to write that script like that sort of that version of it they're by the nature time, very boring i tried to pitch it to my agent i tried to describe this and they're like what is an ultra terrestrial so can they be shot with a gun like it's like, I think I was like, no, no, there's no fighting in this. And they're like, that's not good. That's Psychic not, no fighting. one likes this. <laughs> yeah, they ascend but, to a mind level and have mental combat. Because so it's so like, okay, so you're telling me, Henry, in that scene, it's going to be two people staring at each other going like, and I was like, yes, but think of the tension. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. Now I want to talk about parapsychology as well. But so how was that experience? How long did you work in parapsychology and and what years? Because I know that has advanced and changed yeah. quite a bit as technologies evolved. Well, and also a lot of it sort of blended over with consciousness research now. Sure. Um, yeah. And but yeah, so I worked for this place. I just answered a Craigslist ad as all good adventures begin. I answered a Craigslist <laughs> yep. ad that led me to a townhouse. Um <laughs> and it was just one in an office manager. And so I worked for these guys. It, it, it was a place that had been founded by William James back in like 1885. And they had this, this office in sort of a townhouse on the Upper West Side. And um, they just needed someone to answer the phone. So I was kind of their office manager for about four years from, I would say, 98, 90, late 98. Bro, what, were those, what, were those, what were those calls like when they called well, in? I mean, was it like Ghostbusters? Well, yeah, I mean, this is actually the place, I mean, that that Dan Aykroyd had been a member of and sort of like the original draft of Ghostbusters. It was super serious about like cool. parapsychology. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of based on it. Is that and, like the Theosophical Society? Like, is it the kind it, of same group? Yeah, well, it's called the American Society for Psychical Research. Um, and um, they were... Uh, they were really interesting. My boss was a really, really smart woman. And she said, um, you know, my first day at work, she's like, we're going to get a lot of calls. We had phone books back then. And, you know, she's like, you know, we're in all the phone books and um, people are going to call in and they're going to tell you a lot of stuff and do not validate anything they say, because for all you know, they're off their meds. They're messing with you. They are, you know, they have a history of doing this. You, you don't know. Right. And she's like, on the other hand, don't, invalidate anything they say because what do you know you're the office manager you're 20 something years old maybe there are ghosts you have no idea so you want me so to like, not okay. validate and and validate thank you for well, such a the, clear objective <laughs> i always feel like the person who did that best was art bell and coast to coast am oh yeah so good at like asking a leading question and going like Hmm, I see. Like acting as if he is an impartial judge. He's willing right. to hear your side of the story, but he doesn't have a stake in this game. Because no. he's just a man that purveys this information to an audience. Exactly. And so basically what it did is it made me do something that doesn't come naturally, maybe because I'm just a horrible person or maybe because I'm a dude, I don't know. But I just listened. Like most of the calls were from people, you know, where's my journal? This is late. I paid this. Where's you don't, guys didn't renew my membership. Um, <laughs> do you want more printer yeah. toner? But occasionally there'd be people like, look, there's a psychic energy vampire living upstairs and it's really messing with my family. Um, and I would just listen. And a lot of times, so you know, cool. and sometimes there'd be a journal article I knew that I could send them. Well, this is about there. But like, 
it was really fascinating. And we had a great wow. archive um, that I spent a lot of time sort of helping them digitize. And so reading these letters and, and one of their fear, one of their sort of guiding principles all the way back to when they were founded is we probably don't have the tools to study this stuff right now the way mm. it should be, but we will keep a record of your experience because down the road, this data will be possibly useful to someone. So it was great accounts of this stuff going all the way back. And, you know, I don't know what I came away from it with, except to really realize that that the feeling of being haunted and and seeing a ghost or something is a really human thing. I mean, it seems to happen to a hell of a lot of people. And it is deeply, deeply profound to them. And it is really boring when they try to describe it. Like, I, yeah, I, I absolutely. I've had some friends that talk about changing overnight after a spiritual moment. Yeah. And for them, that was life changing. And for me, it seemed like a, a mistake also, uh, in, in something. But uh, whatever. I've also had friends that come in to people who are like, I feel something in this room. Yeah. And you're just being like, you're just smoking weed. And you're being like. I do too, but I think it's because <laughs> that we just smoked a massive joint together, and so that's why you're feeling what you feel. And I call that just general paranoia. Well, exactly, and it's also there's the thing where it's like you know someone tells me they saw their grandmother standing next to their child six years after their grandmother was dead. For them, that's this profound, moving connection yeah. to this person. Try putting that in a movie. This is the big climax. What does she do? <laughs> she stands there and she looks at them. Is there <gasps> eye contact? Possibly not. Like it's, it's, it's But for the person experiencing it, it's this really big moment. So it's like, yeah. it's it's. I realized that that experience was really interesting, but in terms of writing horror, totally. Yeah. I had to like get it out of my brain in order to write horror. Wow. The ghost, then the grandmother pulls her head off and throws it at her and it eats the skin off her <laughs> Oh, now that's a good book. That's a you know, good book. It's interesting. We were we just did uh, we had a conversation with with some folks recently about like new technology and how things have changed. And we sort of all believe like things haven't really changed. Podcasts are simply radio. Uh, YouTube is simply television. Spot. You know, all of these things are are all just extensions of, of of previous realities. When it comes to as you were talking about with the book about like the Bell, uh, you know, radio or phone company being like, is it haunted? All that stuff. What sort of transitions have you seen now that we're in 2021? And again, you have a new book out, The Final Girl Support Group. Check that out. The Final Girl Support Group, Grady Hendrix. Um, How has horror sort of stayed the same, but also adapted to the new technology? Because now it's like, um, that fantastic movie, uh, Friended. Host. Uh, uh, Unfriended uh, host was great. Is and host, host as well. Host, host is well. the only movie I ever want to see a fucking Zoom call in ever. There's never needs to be a Zoom call ever put in a piece of media. Henry is again. over Zoom. I think all of us are over Zoom. I agree with that. But uh, as how do you incorporate new tech, but with basically old ideas, which is like, this shit can be kind of scary. Yeah, well, I mean, let's face it, like cell phones really threw horror movies for a loop, right? How, <laughs> how, do, they, how, do, they, how do they get rid of the cell phone? We have to find a way for them to lose their cell phones. That's the first oh act. How, there's no <laughs> signal out like, here. There's no signal. Yes, that was like the weird, like birthing pain of every movie, someone holding their phone in the air and waving. Her, do you have any bars? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was, uh, you know, but it's like, it's, it, so I feel like we're a little past that now. Like now we're just like, Oh, set it in 1980. The eighties yes. are cool again. Yeah, um, yeah. Right, right, right. That's what but it follows thing, did so well where they had yeah. phones, but they didn't have phones. I don't know what it was set in. What, whatever those were the little yeah. clamshells. Yeah. I yeah. loved it. 
I always assumed there was just a dancing ballerina in there they were looking at. Um, Could be Polly Pocket or something. The thing about horror that I think makes it different from every other genre and makes it really sort of technology vulnerable in a way is that horror is the only genre that's supposed to be true. Like it's the Mm. only one where all the way back to the beginning, it's like, this really happened and his yeah. name was Dracula. Like, you know, yeah, Dracula, yeah. the book is like done like the, it's all this, you know, found diary excerpts, letters, cables, like all this stuff, you know, Mina Harker's using a dictaphone, an early dictaphone, like, you know, cause it's contemporary and up to date. Right. The very first Gothic novel, Castle of Otranto is like, these are letters found in a family's crypt. Like it's always someone telling this true story yeah. and, you know, then you like the exorcist, you know, they did a whole thing when that movie was getting made. That was like, there were fires on the set who started them. There is a curse on this film and you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, I feel like, you know, then you get into your Blair Witch projects and your found footage stuff. And horror is just always claiming that it happens on creepy pasta, all that stuff. Yes, yes. It's just always claiming it happened to someone, you know. Think of how much serial killer fiction really humped the leg of the behavioral sciences unit, right? It was like mm. it, it does all this stuff, like, yes, this is exactly how it would happen. And look, we've put in the name of a real behavioral scientist from the FBI. Um, and so I feel like horror, because of that, has to stay up to date. Does that also ground the work? So then when something does happen that's extreme, that's what I thought, um, oh my goodness, I'm totally blanking, hereditary. That's what I thought yeah. hereditary did so well, because the very beginning until, you know, the mid, uh, until it's the first massive incident. It's drama, and then yeah. all of a sudden it's it like, goes to 110 miles an hour, and you're like, yes, that was my favorite part. How do you, and uh, we don't have that much more time here, but again, thank you so much for being here. Grady Hendrix, the final girl support group. I guess we should talk about that, but let's talk about I how, would love to talk about that, because I'm I'm going to read whatever you, whatever you're slinging. Yeah, oh, let's no, put thank it you. in that's, my eyeballs. I, I appreciate a reader with no discrimination or sense of self-preservation. <laughs> yeah. So the final support group, I guess, you know, we can sort of use that as an extension of that question where it's like, how do you ground the work? And then how do you, you know, bring it up into another world where it becomes macabre? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's like you were saying, though, it's like kind of the idea that there's nothing really new. Maybe you weren't saying I'm putting words. It's kind of like you were saying that Satan. Hey, is I God. love it. it um, whatever. Yeah. That's I will. Yes. And that but like whatever you think is smart. Yes. Um, no, but this idea that like, how do you make it new? And I think people do get hung up on the technology and the techniques and all that. But really, what you have to do is you just have to connect with that emotional stuff. Again, like you were just saying about hereditary, like if that hadn't been a, dr- a drama, like I usually don't care when someone turns into a special effect and saws their head off, but I really cared when Francis McDermott did it, you know? Like, Absolutely. Uh, like, you know, I was like, what a waste of a talented artist. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and also, what kind of job did Gabriel Byrne have? Like, I love that he was one of those movie know. psychologists who's like, they just have a glass of scotch and look out a rainy window while sitting in front of a computer. <laughs> he thinks. He thinks and he ruminates and he might have a client, but mostly I think he drinks scotch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And if I was married to Gabriel Byrne, that's exactly what I would be like. We've made a nest for you in this room. It's got a comfy chair and a scotch. (laughs) Ooh, wow. Um, And you just come to the door and you look at him like a giant panda from time to time. Um, But, but, you know, with the Final Girl thing, Final Girls have been around. I mean, there's a Final Girls movie. There's, you know, Scream Queens. There's a season of American Horror Story. And what always kind of 
irritated me. Can you trash others? Sure, why not? What always irritated <laughs> me about them was that they treated it as a joke. Like, oh, this yeah. kind of campy, ridiculous thing. And I was always like, well, wait a minute. Like, this woman just went through this horrible, like, not only did all her friends get killed, like, like as if it was an active shooter situation, but the dude was dressed up like, you know, with a hockey mask. Like, that's just yeah. really creepy. Like, she's never going to go, like, she's never going to date a Canadian after that. Like, right. you know, and it's, but it's like, you just are like, that's horrible. And what happens when this horrible thing happens to you when you're 16 or 17 and you kind of live the rest of your life in its shadow? Like, what do you do? How do you put your life back together? And one yeah. of the things that was really interesting is, um, and so the book is about a support group for final girls. Oh my God, it's right there in the title. And um, Interesting. It's, and it's sort of 20 years on and their franchises have gone because all the franchises are based on these real crimes and sort of extrapolated from there. And these women are older now, they're middle-aged and half of them are like, what are we doing? Why are we obsessed with this stuff from our childhood? And, the, and there's a few who've gone survivalist and others who become substance abusers. And sure. then someone starts to kill them one by one. And it's kind of like, oh, we've got to get our shit together. Um, but I really wanted to sort of talk about like how you live through the worst thing that ever happens to you. Cause that's always my favorite thing in a horror movie is like what happens later. Like yes. how do you live through the worst thing that ever happened to you and keep going? Yeah. Like, um, well, that's why, I mean, it's, one, a, it's much cornier, but the later saw movies where they all get together and they support yeah. each other. And then they actually yeah, thank I, jigsaw for torturing them because then it was the first the time lesson. they felt alive. And it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. But it's a great premise. I was going to want to ask a, a horror mechanics question of like, how do you build a new, like, quote unquote, iconic slasher? Like, how do yeah. you go about building a Jason or a Freddy? You shamelessly steal from the ones that exist. Cool. Um, yep. As they I mean, shamelessly just, stole before. Yeah. And, um, and you know, one of the things, though, that was... Well, Two things, actually. So one of the things that was interesting is Adrian King, who plays Alice Hardy in Friday the 13th, part one, the final girl. And then okay. she's the beginning of part two. Yeah, of I actually course. sent it to her. I, I knew some mutual friends who knew her. I sent it to her to get a blurb. And she loved the book. And she and I have talked a few times. And she was talking about like, you know, she had this stalker um, around the time she was between Friday one and two. Oh. And it really wrecked her life. And she oh, was no. doing things that these women in this book do. Like she could only take a shower when she had a padlock on the bathroom door on the inside because she was so she felt so exposed and oh. vulnerable and terrified and you know that's not I mean I think for a lot of people that's not a unique experience but for a lot of women I don't think that's a unique experience to kind of right, feel yeah. like you know you are a soft object in a world full of sharp knives um yes. And like the smallest accident and you are, you're, you're done. Yeah. No um, one is busting in to see me in the shower as I lather myself with, uh, with the Irish spray. No wait, one Kissel, really cares. You wait because you're whoever is coming healing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then the other thing is it's, it's interesting. A friend of mine um, is an agent, a book agent, and they do children's books mostly. And they were wrapping a children's book that takes place during an active shooter drill. And I was oh, like, and, and they were having a hard time, you know, placing that for obvious reasons. Yeah. But the author of it was saying that the reason she wrote it is because her daughter woke her up in the middle of the night and is like, mom, there's a man in the house with a gun. And she started to ask other parents and they were like, yeah. And it's oh. like kids who are growing up now, that, that slow moving guy with a weapon who's walking through the camp or the high school or the right. sorority house or whatever, he's back. 
You know what I mean? And he's yeah. in everyone's nightmares. And it's that guy, that guy who's in your house and he's going from room to room. I mean, you know, Ooh. Halloween says it best. It's the boogeyman. He just, you know, changes, changes, um, you know, uh, accessories. Um, you know what? That really blew my mind when I, when I, I heard wonder that. if we'll, we'll see the same kind of horror boom because I remember reading uh, Stephen King's Dance Macabre and he was talking about how the, uh, the fear of the bomb, like the, the Cold oh, yeah. War, like made a lot of people like get deep into horror. And I wonder if there mm -hmm, is something mm -hmm. like that also happening now where in America, you know, when we, we've traveled abroad, everybody literally asked you as an American. We've had several like not ironic people being like. Where's your gun? Like, how do where do you keep your gun? Really? Um, when you travel, like my like it's a dog that I need a gun sitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like they oh, say leashes they for guns. Questions. We got to start selling leashes yes. for guns. Walk your gun today. This is I'll a new era. First. Between mass shootings and plague shit, we're already living in a massive horror scenario that and with has all come of this real. And when this plague is done, I promise you, 2022, I think that you're right, Henry and, and, and Mr. Grady. I think we're going to have a massive horror boom once again. Um, and that boom should begin I mean, or with just you. trauma. Just deeply embedded or just trauma. trauma. But of course, <laughs> horror, the reason the reason yeah. <laughs> that horror exists is to exterminate that trauma, right? You face it and you beat it. That's why I love the final girls. That's why they're always the heroines. And horror deserves a little bit. Well, I don't know if it gets enough credit for how um, it shows really strong women. And I think that's fucking badass. Uh, the final girl support group. Get this book out uh, by Grady Hendrix. Get that book and get every single book that Grady has ever written because uh my get friend, every you fucking are one of those goddamn books twice. honestly twice give them, please. Twice. Give them to the, give them out on the highway um i think it's important to get because you don't know how many people have been reading i read while i drive sometimes no and i think i'm just one of those people you know i mean it, it does help you drive it helps your driving experience all right well you also i mean do you really have to focus that much once you're on the highway you prop the no. book against the wheel you're fine Okay, hey, right well, there. It's now, we have the right now there that we have just set up the first car accident in the history of books, um, the final support group, check this book out, read it while driving. Live from your grave. All right, there it was, our conversation he, with Grady Hendrix. Check out those books. He's what great. A, he is so great. So funny, and so, and I love his material, too. His books are so good. Legitimately, get whatever he is writing is, is at least entertaining. It's great, Absolutely. and he knows what he's talking about. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. We'll talk to you all soon.